3: tch <laughs>
2: Welcome to show four of One Life Left vs. Gama Sutra. I'm Steve Curran.
3: And I'm Anne Scantlebury.
2: And co presenting alongside us today, Christian Nutt. Hello, Hi. Christian. Hi, Hi, this is your first time on the show, isn't it?
4: Yes, it is. You've got a lot to live up to. Yesterday we had Christian Graft. Oh, well, I don't know if I can live up to that example in, in many ways, but perhaps I can exceed it in others. He was informed immediately that he had to be the
2: brains of the show. Yes. He had a similar reaction. Yes. So no. all you've got to do is outsmart Chris Graft. Mm. We have an awesome panel already, uh, broadcasting from this lunchtime at the Game Developers Conference. Uh, we're joined by Bennett Foddy. Hello. Hi, Bennett. You were on the show last year, weren't you? That's right. So you've got about a year's worth of stuff to update us on.
5: Yeah, yep, I'd, I'd say that's about right. It's been a very busy year.
2: Okay, good. Well, that, that should fill an hour then. So <laughs> no time for our other guests, I'm afraid. Uh, we're joined by Greg and Patrick from Double Fine.
5: Hello. Hello.
2: We've, hey. we've never had you on the show, so you've got a lifetime of things to update us on. This is true. Which is excellent. Very exciting. What brings you guys to GDC? Why are you here? Well, we
6: live, like, blocks away, oh, so, so we kind of have to come.
3: It'd be but, kind yeah. of rude if you didn't show up, <laughs> Exactly.
6: Uh, yeah, I had a, a talk Tuesday, two panels yesterday, and then we showed a trailer at the awards last night. So, lots of things.
2: Okay, what was your talk about?
6: Oh, gosh. Okay, my talk was uh, showing games at live events, like PAX and things like that. Uh, I had a panel on uh, keeping teams motivated and another panel on Kickstarter.
3: Can you tell us how to keep a team motivated? Because right now it feels a little bit like we're flagging. (laughs) We could do with a pep talk. I think
6: food, beer, those are two uh, two good ones. Uh, There's many ways.
3: Excellent. Well, if you could sort that out for us at some point, then that would be fabulous.
6: (laughs) See,
0: the food one is tricky because I just wolfed down my lunch and ran over here. And so now I'm falling into a little bit of a coma.
2: Okay, so we have to pep you up.
0: Yes, absolutely.
6: Dance party!
2: <laughs> <laughs> what was the uh, game you, game trailer you were showing?
6: Uh, we showed a trailer for our game Broken Age.
2: Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
6: Yeah, it was uh, a game that came out of a Kickstarter project we ran about a year ago, uh, trying to make a point-and-click adventure game with uh, Tim Schaefer, our CEO, who mm-hmm. has been doing those for many years. And so now we're about a year into production and kind of showing it off for the first time.
2: What's the best thing about making video games, Greg?
6: Games are fun, man. Games are fun, and making games are fun. But uh, I think it's the team, right? we got a lot of cool people on our team, like Patrick over here. And so just getting to hang out with those guys every day and make cool things.
2: Do do you agree, Patrick? Are games fun, and are you cool?
6: Uh, I would reverse the order, but (laughs) yes.
0: Yes.
2: What's the most fun thing about making a video game?
0: You know what? The like the brainstorming part at the start. Like uh, everybody getting in a room and... Just kind of like throwing out ideas and figuring out what sticks and thinking, out you know what would be fun and that's uh, that's probably the best part. Once you get down to it and you start making them, it gets a lot harder. But uh, but yeah, I think that's my favorite part.
4: How democratized is the creative process at Double Fine? Because I, I don't know if everyone's listening is aware, but Tim Schafer is well known as an iconoclastic creator with a very strong vision. But at the same time, I know that the studio very really values you know the the way yeah. other people work.
6: Well, actually, Patrick should probably talk about this because we, we do this thing uh, every couple of years called Amnesia Fortnite where we let people just come up with uh, ideas that they want to make into games and give them the chance to do that over a couple of weeks. And actually, Patrick uh, has been involved with that in the past and I'm sure he has many things to say.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that. Uh, I've been in the Amnesia Fortnite process three times and um, I have uh, run a game project one of the times and then worked on a couple other people's projects. Um from the other studios that I've worked at in the video game industry, despite having Tim at the helm, you know, being such a uh, such a speaker for the industry, it's extremely uh, democratic. You know, like, at any stage throughout the process, anyone can throw out an idea, um, and uh, it, it really is just kind of like the communication between the team. Like, the, the team has to really gel and then... Um, if an idea, you know, comes out as funny or cool or whatever, then it just kind of works its way into the other disciplines.
5: Well, you guys are still a pretty small studio, right? I mean, it's not like some kind of colossal AAA type thing, right?
6: Yeah, we've got uh, 55 people, and we could be working on anywhere from three to seven projects at a time. So there's times where teams are, you know, over 20, but there's also teams that are three people, so...
4: Um,
2: How does GDC affect that creative process? I mean, is that kind of like a big mind share for you? Or or do you just come here to sort of steal other people's ideas?
0: (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. There's a lot of theft involved. Uh, (laughs) No, GDC is always this great, like, refresher time of the year, you know, where um, you come, like, you, you meet up with your buddies you haven't seen in a year, and, like, everybody's throwing out new ideas and explaining what they worked on over the past year. And there's always, like, this nice, like revitalization
7: mm-hmm.
5: well, I think amongst I- independent developers it's really a global scene now it's not really this kind of uh, local it's not a, like a set of local scenes and it's, it's, it's an opportunity to see people face to face that you're collaborating with all the time globally uh, amongst sort of indie developers and you know I mean even Double Fine right, is like a, is an indie studio in a sense and you guys are now like becoming I think more part of that sort of indie scene as well I mean is that fair?
6: Yeah I think so yeah. I mean it's it's been a shift since we were working. We had, you know, five years ago we were all working on one game together, and now we kind of broke down into these smaller teams. And I think that we were definitely excited about what we saw coming from the indie studios, uh, just having smaller teams and smaller budgets, and being able to take a, a bit more of creative risk kind on of a project. Right. And and that's definitely something that's been driving us for the last few years.
5: I mean, this is the year of indie breakthrough. If you look at the uh, the Choice Awards last night, and I guess AAA studios got technical achievement, lifetime achievement, and the audience award, and everything else was going to an indie game. That's uh, crazy. Yeah.
4: The same indie game, but yes. <laughs>
5: well, no, like two, at least two indie games. <laughs>
4: well, it's kind of a question, I mean, do you consider, this, 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 this indie question, like, is The Walking Dead an indie game because Telltale's a small studio, does, where does Double Fine fit on that continuum? And does this, actually the more interesting question, I think, is does it even matter?
5: No, I don't, I don't think it does matter. But, I mean, there is kind of clearly a, an interesting economic and, and cultural shift towards sort of viability of small projects and small studios. And I, I think maybe in the consumer's minds, it's, you don't have to sell something that's, like, played for 50 hours uh, anymore. You can, like, seriously get people excited about something a little bit smaller in scope, a little bit more focused. So I think that's got to be a good thing, right, artistically at least. I'd agree,
2: yeah. Does the size of a project does that affect the creative potential of the project? Do you think, Bennett? I mean, like it must be easier to be more creative in a smaller space. Well,
5: I'm biased because I do most of my games all by myself. Uh, I mean, but I do. I did grow up playing the, this kind of era of uh, early arcade games and eight-bit games in the in the '80s, uh, and and those were largely made by one or two people. And there is something that happens when you work in a really small team, which is that you can grow the idea organically you don't ever have to write a uh, design document you don't have to lock anything down in stone and and you wind up with kind of much wilder uh, more creative designs in some way just because i think if you're if you're going to mobilize 200 people to make some kind of colossal 200 million dollar project you have to have it locked down almost at the beginning what the game is going to be like uh, so
6: you just don't get that same sort of organic
5: thing happening
6: yeah not just that but if you've got that many people involved that much money involved you have to go really broad with your idea to make sure that you're going to recoup that investment and then things get uh sticky
5: right i mean i was talking to some guys from harmonics and they had all these kind of crazy ideas that they put into dance central 3 but they can't make it the main part of the game right they have to put it in this kind of roped off sort of bonus game area and i think that's where a lot of the creativity goes it's in the margins i mean you do see kind of crazy things in uh, even in jrpgs but it's like the kind of bonus content the the side quests the mini games that's where the most interesting stuff is happening there
0: trying to be fair to the other side um the one thing that those giant games do have the ability to do is these showcases of technology you know like the animation system in the assassin's creed games is really this masterwork uh and you can't really achieve that like on the small indie scale um that's just the one bone I'm
8: going through them
4: I think you get a lot of craftsmanship out of studio games. Um, not all of them, obviously. It's it, like any creative endeavor. There's, you know, they, they range in quality, but you do see a lot of craftsmanship and, and polish and care put into stuff. So there's advantages and disadvantages, but there's I, also.
5: I think it's a better environment for the creativity of of the sort of systems programmers, right? Because they have a self contained task and they can approach it creatively and really push it through. Uh, you know, like we, I just went to the talk by the guy who did the sand shader for Journey, for example. I mean Journey is not like a big studio, but they had this like guy who was really focused on getting perfect looking sand and' it's a huge part of that experience is sand that is just mesmerizingly beautiful so I mean I, th- I think that 's true it 's harder if you 're the designer and you have to kind of wrangle I guess like all of these people to do things for you and kind of bring your design to life you can 't just do that you can 't do the design by yourself in a room while everybody else makes the rest of the game. That's not how it can work.
2: What else have you seen at the uh, conference this year that's uh, stuck with you?
5: I, I was, I mean, this is something that I was playing before the conference. One of the indie nominees, um, Michael Bro, uh, he has this game, Vespa 5, that was nominated uh, for a prize. And it's a game that you can only mo- make one move every day. And so, you know, coming out of this, you know, we're talking about how shorter games are starting to become more popular. and It's no longer this 50-hour experience. And I don't know. I, mean, I think like, there's like this cultural shift, and we're now sort of seeing games as, as more of a bite-sized thing, or like that's more viable creatively. But he's taken it to the ultimate extreme, where you can only play for like three seconds every day. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I, I found it an amazingly um, sort of a transformative experience for me. It, it made me think about games as as something. I don't know, Like it's, it's like a slower experience, a less focused experience, more meditative experience, and I really recommend everyone goes and plays that, it's free.
0: How did he... He had that on the show floor, didn't he?
5: So he made it on the show floor, yeah, he clearly had to change it, because it's only... The, the show only runs three days, so he made it that you can only do one move every hour, so people come back to do another move,
2: yeah. Uh, Michael was on the show yesterday, uh, he was...
5: Can I, can I just say, I mean, Michael has gone from being virtually unknown a year ago, but through this kind of huge quantity of incredible work that he's done. Uh, Frank Lance from uh, Area Code and NYU list yesterday listed him uh, amongst like the top five designers in the world. So, you know, it's just like people are really starting to appreciate Michael's work, I think.
2: I wonder whether that uh, speaks to the thing that we talked about on our first show, which is do video games uh, need rock star developers? Do they need names at the front of it or, you know... Is our form a more collaborative form?
5: Well, I, w- I wouldn't say that anyone's making Michael into a rock star, and I know that he wouldn't be comfortable with that He personally. seemed
2: a bit like a rock star. <laughs>
5: <laughs> he has long hair. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I think, honestly, what, one of the things that would be really great is if, uh, in games, we could start to uh, recognise the existence of auteurs. You know, like the, mm. the fact that there are individuals behind these games and they have something to communicate of themselves, and the games hopefully uh, give you a bit of a sense of who the person is. I would really like it if players could come to know a little bit more. I mean, clearly people know Tim Schaefer and they know Sid Mayer, and 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 so on, uh, you know, Warren Spector. But it would be great if, if we could bring out those personalities a bit more and just make fans a bit more aware of that.
6: Yeah, I, I do think that's true, and I think that there's a lot of people who have a really unique vision and voice in games. But I do think that... Uh, we, we are trying to stress at Double Fine how much it is a collaborative process and trying to open things up a bit more so people see that it's not just him making our games. and We actually have you know dozens of amazing people at the studio and they're all pitching in in some way and different ways and working together to ultimately make this amazing
2: game. And I guess the Amnesia Fortnite thing is all about that, right?
6: It is, and it was something that I really wanted to do because uh, you know when I was growing up and a fan of games, I had no idea how they were made and I just thought it was just some sort of magical thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And so... I just had no idea that there was a potential for having a job in games and that there were so many different roles for people who might necessarily not be into computer programming or uh, might be just want to be doing art or yeah. design or, or writing. And, and the fact that there are so many things that go into making a video game, we wanted to kind of show that off a little
2: bit. Sure. Okay, uh, let's have some music and then we'll be back after this. to One Life Left live at GDC 2013. It's our fourth show.
3: This is our fourth show, yeah. Okay,
2: just glad you're keeping yeah, track.
3: No, I am. I'm the numbers girl. <laughs>
2: uh, we have we have lost someone.
3: Yeah, it was unfortunate, but you know, These there comes a time.
2: These things happen. Uh, but we've gained someone as well, which is good. Uh, welcome, uh, Matthew. <laughs> Hello, how's it going? We've got still got the Double Fine Chaps. Uh, hanging Hello, out.
0: we're here. Yeah, still here.
2: And uh, Jen Frank has arrived late for the show, hanging around in the distance. So, uh, Matthew, can yes. you tell us a little bit about what you do and what brings you to GDC?
9: Uh, so I've been working at uh, Pixar for something like, well, I, I started there on Toy Story in 92, so however many years that is. And uh, I started off as an animator, and I've been working in story... For the last 17 years, doing storyboarding, um, developing characters. Um, I'm currently a story supervisor at Pixar, and I also lead up the uh, story internship uh, every year when we get new new recruits um, to uh, train to be story artists. And before I worked at Pixar, I was a uh, an animator at The Simpsons. That's what everyone thinks is cool. So. Uh, because <laughs> yeah, everything there.
3: else you've done is very. That's yeah. right. It's all crap. <laughs> we were after just that, just kind of rolling <laughs> <our> <laughs>
9: eyes. It was just that, that one good year on The Simpsons, sure. and that was it. <laughs> but um, and then I, I speak at a number of different game companies every year, um, teaching people how to uh, put you know better story structure, better character uh, into the games we play.
3: Do you think that's a, is that a, a new thing having sort of a cross media? Interest in each other's work.
9: Well, I think more and more um, studios want to have better and better stories, right? It seems like that's what everybody is is you know aiming towards. And so, I come in and I I give the perspective of somebody who's worked on uh, ten Pixar movies on how we actually uh, create the stories, like the process of actually starting from a, a premise to creating characters i'd have no idea if that answered your question but uh
3: i'm sure
6: okay
3: (laughs) um greg and patrick uh, do you look to other media for advice well we look to pixar
6: movies too but yeah we we have uh lunchtime movie times sometimes we'll take uh field trips took a field trip to toy story 3 um but yeah i think that everyone is uh inspired in many different ways and from all forms of entertainment so it's just a matter of taking as much in as you can and trying to figure out what, what you can learn from it.
9: I mean, I, I totally agree with, with what he's saying. I mean, basically, when we're, when we're even making our films, we're influenced by so many different types of art, you know. Um, not just... We, we don't just look at other films for inspiration. We look at, at, at all, all different mediums um, to inspire us, you know. Um, I also forgot to mention, I'm also at Pixar... I'm, I'm the guy who kind of protects the Toy Story and Cars and those franchises. And so any game companies that are using characters like those ones at Pixar, I'm, I'm the guy you'll always see at those meetings. So are um, the enforcer? Yeah. Is that I, 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 make, I make sure that all the toys stay in character and everything is good. So is
3: that what you protect? So that there is a sort of a journey from the film to to the game yeah
9: I mean I'm uh, like an overall guy I I end up going a little bit on each film working on development but I'm also one of the franchise guardians that's what I like to call myself
3: that's an incredible title yeah you know (laughs) sounds cool we've been
2: talking recently uh, over the last few shows about making a game ourselves we're getting a bit jealous of everybody else we've decided to concentrate on the hugging genre that seems underexplored did you say
9: hugging? hugging
2: I know, it it
9: blew my mind
2: too. That's great.
6: (laughs) It's
9: going to have to be an interactive
6: game. We actually had a prototype for a hand-holding game once, so similar.
2: Really? Yes. (laughs) Is that more or less intimate than hugging, do you think?
3: Oh, surely it's less. Hugging is full body.
4: Though people (laughs) hug in a very fake way, sometimes just like, you know what I mean? You'll hug people that you that you don't know well in the fake show of intimacy where if you actually hold hands with someone for a while that's kind of a commitment i mean, right? I mean this uh, to to explain
2: to you guys i mean our listeners will know because i'll have heard the first podcast where manvir uh, he came up with he was describing the various ways people hug like the different hugs he experiences at gdc and that seems mm. like a thing that we could base uh, a video game on would any of you guys have any advice and do you want to work mm. for us
9: well, it reminds me of that Mary Poppins song when they when they sing about all the different types of laughs. Mm-hmm. You know, you could talk about all the different types of hugging. You know,
4: <laughs> so it should be a music game, is what you're saying. Yeah, you
9: know. Um, but uh, we, we get here. Uh, how does how does this feel? Is that, I mean, that,
3: feel, that feels that feels good. We're shaking hands we're shaking. right now. No hugs right now. How's that?
9: It feels it feels good. You've yeah. got a hand it Feels a little business,
3: doesn't it? Doesn't Why? it? Yes. However.
9: <laughs> okay. Here's the hug. Oh, man. Oh, you know what? I like the hug. The hug's definitely better. That's too the much. <laughs> so, um, uh, storytelling in hug games? Um, well, you're going to have to start off first with a character who does not like uh, hugging at all. Oh, you, you have to start off with a character who hates hates that, right? I,
0: would, I think I would go with the puffer fish.
9: The, the puffer fish yeah. who no, doesn't want to No, any, that's like he really contact. wants to be hugged, but he oh, just can't yeah, be hugged. It's a tragedy. No, that, that's that, See, that's, that's another way true. you could go with that story. That could be great. You know, everybody he hugs, he kills. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, what a sucky
2: well, this just took a
3: dark turn. <laughs> it, it did.
2: Wow. Interesting. Uh, yeah. uh, you guys have any tips? I mean, this is still, We're not stealing. We're just... We're, we're conferring at a conference, which is what you're meant what to do. Mm. What's well, well, in sourcing? Minor crowd. More sort of
3: sourcing <laughs>
9: <laughs> yeah you know I, I think uh, any way for uh, gamers to do more physical touching is a good thing so uh, how many ug-
2: gamers have you met <laughs> how
9: many, how many games, gamers, gamers
2: have, you have you met because I'm not sure physically they, touching
9: it's not a do they, I don't what? feel
2: like anyone should touch me right oh. now
9: <laughs> wow gosh well I, I guess I live in the cartoony world we, <laughs> we, we're we <we're> intimate <laughs>
2: One Life Left versus Gama Sutra. Taking the Gama Sutra side of things, it's Christian nuts. How are things going?
4: Oh well, yesterday was like a crushingly busy day. Today's a bit nicer, so. Mm. It's, but it's it's good. There's it's a lot like of it's good weird, stuff. Isn't it? No, that's part of it. Yeah, actually, Chris said you want to do something fun, so here I am <laughs> doing something fun. Yeah. Don't look crushed. You look perky. Oh, thank you. I, no one's ever said that to me before. Ever. <laughs> One Life Left exclusive.
2: <laughs> and we're joined by Jen Frank as well. Hello. Uh, what time is it?
1: Um. It is not a quarter to one.
2: What time does our radio show start?
1: Uh, sometime before the time listen, that it is now. Listen,
2: um, it's not your fault. It's ours in many ways for trusting you.
1: Oh dear, oh dear. Well, and ha- I, happened, I'll go? have to take it. I'll have to.
2: Did you have a spectacular night last night? Is that what? I got up uh, in
1: plenty of time. I'll have you know, um, but. Um, I, I chronicled some of this on on the internet, um, so so I have some corroboration mm-hmm. uh, i've locked uh, our friend and colleague Kara Ellison out onto a balcony. That was one thing I did this morning. Uh, another thing uh, we got out of the cab and just walked the rest of the way.
2: You have to be intelligent right now and ask some questions
1: i will I will do my very best. Hello. <laughs>
9: Hello. <laughs> um,
1: how's, how's your morning and, and uh, beginning of your afternoon been?
9: Uh, so far, so good. I mean, I, I live here, so this is... Uh, oh, wow. You know, I, I didn't have to... I just woke up from my own house. Did you stay at a cabin, you said?
1: No, oh, no, no. We've rented a mansion.
9: Oh, you rented a mansion? <laughs>
1: so we're we're in a mansion in uh, the uh, Lower Haight, I oh. believe the neighborhood is called.
9: Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Cool.
1: Thanks.
3: So do you... Um, uh, when GDC is in town, do you get a chance to come to any talks here? So you obviously give a lot to video games, but do video g- games give anything to you?
9: Uh, well, I I I have a thirteen-year-old son, so we obviously play a lot of games, uh, video games, and um, so yeah. I mean, I'm 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 not only uh, get to speak at these places, but I, I get all the freebies, which is awesome. And um, so, What's your best yeah. freebie. Oh, Come gosh. On. I, 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 Microsoft has given me a lot of good freebies. Really? Can you... <laughs> I don't know if I want to say how much the stuff they've Microsoft given Can you ask Microsoft to
2: give God. us some freebies? Yeah, sure. We're very influential in the world of video game radio in London <laughs>
9: that broadcasts at a specific time of night. Well, I, I don't... I mean, I, I love all the game companies, I first of all want to say. No, there's so. got to be
4: one you don't like. No, I...
9: I, I you know, I, I got to tell you, I... Um, I feel like the the animation world and the game company world are very similar especially when I go to a studio and I see how fun it is people have slides and crazy things guns. nerf guns, and nerf guns. I you all, I
4: feel at home You work super hard I mean you, I mean the level of craft on, and inspiration on displaying Pixar films is like through the roof and 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 in the best games as well so I mean it you also must meet on that level of the minds right uh With with video game developers, right?
9: Yes, I mean we when like when we're discussing games Mm -hmm. and stuff, we really get into the structure and the character and all that kind of stuff. That's what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, I mean, you know when you're when you're building a story for uh, whether it's a movie or um, a short or a series or a game, um, you're basically kind of being a part of a uh, psychiatrist, you know, and you're really figuring out what makes people tick. and and so it's 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 an awesome experience, and I, uh, you know.
1: So, um, this might be kind of a hardball question, Uh-oh. in the spirit of Chris Matthews. Um, so, you're a dad.
9: Yes, I am a dad.
1: Thirteen is a really tricky age.
9: Oh yes. Does oh, your wow. son
1: think you're cool? That's well, my question.
9: I, I gotta say, i I'm pretty lucky because I have an advantage, being I work. Um, right on you know at pixar making movies that all of his friends think are cool so i i i'm saying this humbly okay but uh yeah i'm, I'm one of the few cool dads cool, at this school. cool.
1: <laughs> nice
9: <laughs> so yeah he he he's I, and i have to say that he's my buddy so excellent we have excellent. a pretty good relationship
2: if you could change one thing about video
9: games, what would it be? I
3: thought you were going to ask if you could change one thing about his son. Yeah,
9: I thought, no, no, I thought
2: coming <laughs> was I, <laughs> I stole. But forgive me for trying uh, to bring the radio show back mm, to games.
9: Oh. <laughs> well, you know, you know what I would say is, as as I go and, and speak at so many different game companies, trying to help people get better stories in there and stuff. Um, more and more, I'm just. I I I wish I, I could see. gosh, I I say this in the nicest way, but bigger chances being taken. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like uh, storytelling and story structure for movies is one type of storytelling. And uh, games is a different type of storytelling that uses the same kind of story structure for movies, but it's not exactly the same. But I just feel like, you know, movies have been around for like 100 years. Games have not been around as long. And I, I sometimes feel like, I wish I could see some of the um, uh, chances on uh, the type of storytelling that people would be taking bigger chances. For Mm. example, in the game about hugging. Yeah, it's like (laughs) the game about hugging, which I think is a great idea. I mean, I don't know if you would hug the TV or...
4: You could make a hug, hug controller. A hug like, you controller. It would be like, go back to Guitar Hero, it would be Hug Hero. <laughs> hug Hero. That's exactly what we're doing.
9: We're at least one step ahead of you. One show ahead of you. You know, <laughs> everybody
4: loves hugging.
10: Who, who
9: doesn't? Except a puffer fish. But that's something else. <laughs>
7: <laughs>
2: Life Left broadcasting at GDC, Gama Sutra at the other end of the table. That's the dynamic that we are weaving
4: right now. That's versus. Do you feel sort of competitive spirit here, Christian? Okay, but no, I think it's it's a fr- friendly competition does this
3: ever be friendly so I to, don't know to it, paint a picture I thinking about
4: this Christian's staring me down like as he <laughs> says this Marvel versus Capcom do Marvel and Capcom really hate each other or is it more just a friendly sort of exhibition match it's
2: true they do knock each other out <laughs> I don't know if that's how I want this to end with you going all special move on me but I guess we'll see Matthew yes yes this is the end isn't it
9: yes I'm going to have to go I'm gonna, well I'm not going to have to <laughs> I'm, I'm going to with pleasure uh, go do my uh, talk which is I don't know it's at 2.30 whatever so that's probably coming up soon I'm going to actually I'm just going to go for the rest of the day through GDC just hugging people random strangers <laughs> and I'm going to see what happens excellent okay well we'll see you around okay
2: but it's okay guys because we've got another guest hello Ben
8: Hi. Thanks for having me. Ben, tell us tell us what you do. Um, so I'm the CEO of Pocket Gems, which is uh, which um, it develops uh, mobile entertainment, and we were one of the first makers of free to play mobile games, and we built some of the earliest and most successful mobile franchises, including Tap Two and Tap Paradise Cove. Oh, cool. Um, and what, what brings you to GDC? Uh, so I actually am just coming off my talk, um, which Oh, <gasps> well, you've
3: just finished it. Yeah. Are you pumped? Uh-huh. Are you like um,
7: oh? What's I that? think
8: I'm a little bit relieved. Um, it's over. Yeah. Are you going to go get drunk now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we actually have our happy hour for, so maybe there. <laughs> Not yet. So, what we should talk about? <laughs> um, so, I talked about the art of the topic of the talk was the art of understanding social and mobile players. Okay. And um, my background really spans console games, social games, and mobile games. And um, I know there's a lot of you know interest in kind of the new segments of games and there's so many people that want to come into mobile for the first time so my talk was really kind of giving people a framework for thinking through how to make the right decisions to make successful mobile games.
3: And how do you, how do you understand the audience? How, yeah. how, how do you do that?
8: Yeah so, um, so in my talk I, I talked a lot about um, the key su- success being making a series of correct decisions so I think one of the things that the first decision that you come upon when you ship a game is, do I have something that's working, and should I continue investing in it? And once you have something that's working, trying to figure out how to improve it the best way you can. Um, so I took people through kind of a framework that we use at Pocket Gems um, for, for how to do that. And I think um, we're really lucky in today's game industry to like have access to so much information. I think it's really an amazing time to be a game maker. And I think um, one reason for that is you have access to all this information about how people are playing your game, like. Um, what people are liking and what people like um, think could be better, and I think um, there's lots of easy ways to look at that and to make your product better based on that. So, um, was taking people through some some simple metrics to do that.
3: So you said that you were the f- you know the first to be making mobile games and social games. One of the first. Let's say the first. Okay. <laughs> are you furious with everyone else who's come along and just been like, "Oh, I'm gonna hop on this bandwagon," or are you like? actually guys no. come on in we'll make some lovely things together
8: yeah I, I think it's a little bit of it's a little bit of both I think you know it's gotten a lot more competitive but I think there's also so much more opportunity and I think we're really in the early days of mobile where there's so much opportunity there's so many things that haven't been created yet and I feel like um, opportunity is too big for like one team or one company to fully take advantage of so I think it's, it's super exciting it's a really great time
3: uh, who do you admire in uh, the same field
8: yeah, it, specifically in the industry or in the games industry?
3: In the games industry, like it, yeah. it, similar similar
8: to you. Oh, similar to us. Yeah. Um, I I think we we like take really seriously kind of everyone that's found success and you can look in the charts to, to see who's successful. Um, but we're really focused on making innovative and creative and new things. So I think anyone that's focused on that strategy and making new things Shouldn't that haven't care been done about before. Else. Um, well, I think th- I think that's those are the companies we admire. I think we, we don't the companies we would have kind of less admiration for and I think is ultimately a less good strategy is are companies that do what other companies are already doing because um, we think mobile's so new that there's an opportunity to why why limit yourself to what's already been done like why not pioneer and create new things that haven't been done before
2: like for example, you know just arbitrarily to pick one thing at random a game about hugging. <laughs> Um, have you seen a game like that?
3: We haven't seen it, but we are going to make it.
8: I think
2: that'd be a fun game. <laughs> Thanks. Have you got, got any tips for us?
8: Um, well, I think uh, some of the things I talked about in my talk is for mobile. I think the number of sessions so is really important. So the number of times people open your app and experience is really important. So I think um,
3: the I number think- of times people hug.
8: Yeah, so I think in your game, you should make it so that people hug a lot, and you need to hug a lot of people. And um, I think that'll lead to like a successful um, mobile game.
3: And also a successful social life, I imagine. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I,
8: I, I don't do know. think an area of interest is is kind of the location-based and like, knowing who's around you. and So so I think so you're on to something.
2: GPS-enabled oh. hugging is yeah. what you're yeah. oh, K- right. Kind of like grinder, but for hugs. <laughs> <laughs> Hugger.
1: Right, it would just... <laughs> Wow!
3: Yeah. Okay. I think I think we could definitely work on that. That
2: is a super super useful tip. Thank you so much, and thank you for coming on the show no, as well. Thanks for having uh, me. I know you've got to rush off the uh, yeah, yeah. right way.
3: Probably to get your happy hour. <laughs> <laughs>
8: thanks for having me. No, no, no worries. Thank you for coming Hello. on. Have a great nice. GDC.
2: breakbeat heartbeat explore it's another brilliant piece of music from ChipMusic.org. you should go there download amazing chip music because there's loads of it loads of it we've played a lot of it on the show dan hi dan hello there dan what's your name apart from dan and where do you come from
11: most people know me as just dan okay no let's let's stick with dan <laughs> no 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 i'm uh, daniel cook and uh, i work with uh spry fox and you were on the show last year, weren't you? Yes. Yes, we were. We had a combat session, if I remember correctly. We, f- well, well, we well, fought. we were punching you. No, no. It was uh, Ian Bogost and I were attacking uh. each other with verbal swords. And I seem
2: to recall meeting you last night and promising I would fight with you today about something. Something. Anything. It okay. doesn't really matter. Because so far the show's been quite affectionate, hasn't it's it? It's been
3: very affectionate. So, so we are currently discussing, uh, developing our own game about hugging. Which means that all of our conversations have tended to be about lovely hugs. So you're going to bring this down and make this um, a fighting.
11: No, no, I'm I'm okay with hugs. We can we can we can manage hugs. We can have like aggressive hugging as its own thing. But
4: uh, there's always hugging it out when you have an argument, and then you you know aggressively
3: hug it out at the end. Nobody Mm. means that. Nobody really means a hug
10: after a fight.
2: Before we get onto the serious business (laughs) of hugging, uh, what brings you to GDC this
11: year? Are you speaking? I did have a talk did on uh, making original free-to-play games. Okay. And that was on Monday. Okay, how did it go? It was a very large room, and there was lots of people there, and they were all staring at me. Oh, uh, it's, I it's, that really
3: sounds happens. like a dream. <laughs> yeah.
11: <laughs> and, um, uh, I mean, we, I asked how it went, because
2: uh, obviously if it had gone badly, I wouldn't want to know what it was about. Right. But uh, can you sum- it turns out
11: there's loads of people there. Um, we want in on this. Can you sum up the talk for to us? S- to summarise... Um, we went through a bunch of horribly hard lessons that we've learned many times over the past 15 years. Um, for example, like when you're prototyping, keep your team small. If you're prototyping with a team of, say, 15 people, it's probably not going to go through too well. If you have like one or two people, that's a lot easier to understand what the game is and gain consensus and all that good stuff. Mm hmm. Yeah. The other, another one, which is not all that obvious to many people, is we bring in the artist very, very late in the process. A lot of people get very excited about art because art is like sugar, it's like candy, it's it's, it's a wonderful thing, um, and then they try to make the game mechanics fit the art, um, and it turns out the game mechanics are messy and awkward, and they require a lot of abstract thinking, and. It's really, really hard to make game mechanics fit the art, but it's relatively easy to make art fit the game mechanics.
2: That's why we're, we we do radio rather than TV. We're not a very visual people. No, not massively. Yeah. We we appreciate our um you know strengths, lies, yeah. um, some
1: <laughs> strengths
2: or limitations, <laughs> half full, half empty. That's
1: so. This is really interesting. Um, in a lot of ways, your talk then was kind of about um, authorship and authorial intent, and kind of uh, having that focus.
11: Uh, that, that is a large part of it. It's not necessarily like... There's this, there was a trend in the game industry for a while about the best game. We're going to have the best graphics. And it was this sort of idea of this linear scale. Mm. Um, and we're much more about like, let's make something great and wonderful and unique with this small, tiny seed of people and their unique talents. Uh, and then see where that grows, grows to. Um, So it's not necessarily about big consensus and marketplace driven. It's more about like, let's make something that's that's really exciting and rich and robust from a tiny, tiny group of really talented people and then grow it from there.
2: What are the most interesting games you've seen in the year since we last talked?
11: Um, Jason Rohr has one, Mm -hmm. which is, it's a variation on a design that I've wanted to see, that I've, I've wanted to see made for years. Okay. Um, it's called The Castle Doctrine and the idea is that, I, I assume that you're an American in this because it's a very American theme to it. You have a house and um, you have to protect the house. You have your family in the house you have all your valuables in the house but you're also a thief So you go out into the world, and then you steal from other people's houses, and you Mm -hmm. break into their houses, and there's this really awkward moment where you can kill their children or kill their wife, um, and it helps you steal stuff from them, and then you bring it back to your locked house, and you keep everything in there and hope that they don't steal from you. Wow. Can
4: they steal from you?
11: They can absolutely. It's when the, you leave the house, it's a risk reward. It's a, it's a, reward thing it's a symmetrical. Uh, it's a symmetrical system where you're, you're you're the thief, and then when you leave, the house is open for someone else to steal from you. It's a beautiful I, system, but it sounds horrible. It is. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, uh, people have had a really strong reaction to this game um, because it's absolutely sociopathic, is what it is. <laughs> I find but it. It's, um, It's uh, just overturning any social contract whatsoever, and it's absolutely kind of spectacular, kind of an achievement. Well, I find
3: these games crippling, because I'm like, I want to do the right thing. I can't do the right thing, so I'm just going to do nothing. (laughs) And I end up sitting in the corner forever. Um, And you don't progress, so I guess you have to sort of challenge your own moral
1: compass and uh, start thieving and murdering. Evidently. <laughs> no, it's true. Being a good, moral, and ethical person is absolutely paralyzing. I agree.
2: But it's, it's interesting, Jen, that you, you bring up the sort of strong reactions. It's probably better that people react strongly to something than just go, oh, it's a, it's a video game.
4: Well, we exactly. know what those are like, right? Ex-
1: oh, um, yeah, Exactly. It's, it's great that... Um, well,
4: at, hmm. I was sorry. Say, it's interesting that it's clear to me that, or I would assume Jason made this game to provoke a reaction and to provoke a conversation. This isn't the same as Grand Theft Auto, which, you know, which is not to say that the people make Grand Theft Auto do not want to provoke a reaction or conversation, but it's a different intent, I think we could probably agree, right?
1: Absolutely. Well, he's a smart kid. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> like, this is...
11: But this is pushing game design into a really interesting sort of real world area Mm -hmm. um if you look at is everyone here familiar with the the stanford prison experiment absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah where where they they took college students and they basically said oh you're randomly going to be assigned to be a guard or you're going to be assigned to be a prisoner and it's a role-playing exercise and we're going to put you in this little uh place where you act as prisoners and guards and it very rapidly got out of control and that, you know, that the people started acting with, like, real dominance and, like, doing horrible things to the prisoners, and they had to end this experiment because it was abusive.
1: Well, and, and uh, more interestingly, a lot of the people who played the roles of prisoners um, were free to leave at any point and didn't, and stayed and suffered, and the whole thing had to end early.
11: Yeah. And... When we look at some of the multiplayer things that we're doing right now, we're setting up these same sort of like social Mm contexts for these um, really uh, behavior that you would not see in real life, but we're providing all the reward systems. And when you die in an MMO or you make a friendship in an MMO, you feel intense emotion. That as if a real thing happened to you yes. it's not like we often think of games as this sort of oh it's a fantasy oh it's like you know it's it's like it's like watching a movie except it's a game but when you're actually like when your guild kicks you out in an mmo like you've had trust betrayed at a fundamental real level that's exciting right but isn't it dangerous as well I think we're going to experiment with it as far as we can go. Mm. So, yes, it's dangerous, but then <laughs> most, most technology and social experiments are.
4: Yeah, I, I agree. You can even do that in storytelling games. Like, it doesn't have to be a multiplayer game. There's a game called Virtue's Last Reward, which was up for a narrative award at the Choice Awards last night. Mm-hmm. And that game is based around the concept of the prisoner's dilemma. I don't know if people are familiar with that, where, you know, you can both vote against each other, Okay, so you can pick to ally or betray with someone. If you both ally, you sort of stay on even keel. If one betrays and one allies, the one who betrayed gets a reward. The one who allied gets punished. And if you both betray, you don't get anything. And the story of this game revolves around making this choice at junctures in the story. And I, uh, when I played it, I, it's got multiple parallel storylines and you can explore them. And when I allied with someone and they betrayed me... So, rather, I, allied, I betrayed someone, they allied with me. So then when I went through the other story thread, I allied with them, assuming they'd ally with me, and they betrayed me. And I got pissed off at this character that was a fictional character. I actually got pissed off in real life. I, I know that one of the games that won many, many
2: awards, our Sight Journey, uh, experienced a similar problem in the design, which was this was a game that was all about cooperation, right? Mm-hmm. But they had to minimize the amount that the players could interact because they found that... Like people would just do everything they could, even the, even in this beautiful, helpful experience, to just obstruct the other player. If there was a you know a beautiful walk walk along a cliff top, the other player would push the second player off the cliff for no reason.
11: Well, it was also there's uh, in Journey in particular there's this concept of uh, what's what's the ease of performing a verb, hmm. and because Journey had such a limited number of verbs that could be done, like. I want to do something simple that gets a big response. Messing with the other players was was one of the only things that you could do in some mm. of the early prototypes, right. and, it, and it has a huge response. It happens to be a negative response. So a lot of what you do in tuning those cooperative games mm. is you're trying to set the social norms and context for the the, the interactions so that people tend towards more positive interactions. Um, and this is this is the um, the, um, the prisoners uh, the Stanford Prison Experiment, Abu Ghraib, like if you take completely normal, reasonable people and you put them in a poisonous social context or set of social norms, they will behave like completely horrible individuals.
2: We've we found that over the last few nights. <laughs>
11: <laughs>
9: You've
4: been to GDC parties. <laughs> it's interesting, I think also part of it is that People want to test the boundaries of the system, right? You give, like, you talk about journey being, you know, relatively limited set of verbs. People are going to try to find what the edges of the possibility space are there, and if part of that involves messing with the other person, that's part of the, what they'll that's test. That's part of
1: game breaking, yeah, in a way, right? Um, or, or a game um, like Portal Two, um, which is very uh, objective-oriented, goal-oriented play. Um, Right, and I'm I'm tipping people over edges all the time because I get bored and I can't solve a puzzle. And I'm like, this seems like it might be more interesting blowing you up. Seeing, um, because you can inadvertently, um, right, uh, destroy your uh, cooperative player uh, by maybe like leaving him in a room to be crushed. Oh, that's how that room works. And uh, some of the joy and comedy in the game is actually in, in seeing how a room works by leaving your partner to get smushed or exploded. Does that
3: say something about you, Jen? <laughs> I, it, well, I'm,
4: I think
2: it says uh, something s- about the human condition.
4: <laughs> I mean, if they made it... In, it's funny. I think that did they make that, you know, Portal 2 is part of the the, the, the the story, the text of the game, is that these are two robots that are being used in experiments and repeatedly destroyed. Is that part of it? Did they come up with the story after they saw the way players behaved to each other? I wonder, or before, because it's true right? that
1: you are dismantled at the conclusion of every obstacle course. So, <laughs> so if you don't do it to your partner, somebody will. So I don't know.
2: That is a life lesson for us all. Oh my. You are dismantled at the end of every (laughs) obstacle course. We've got just enough time for one final guest today.
10: Thank goodness we've got one.
2: Okay. Who is it? Hello.
10: Hello, um, I'm Anna Marsh, and I'm the owner and design director of Lady Shotgun, which, as it's a very small indie means, uh, I do everything. Okay. Really? No, no. Do, do you do
2: everything? Other...
10: No, I don't. I'm taking credit for other people's work.
2: Which like, bits don't you do?
10: I, I don't do the clever stuff, so I don't do all the original artwork, and I don't do all the original code. But see, all the that's... dirty jobs no-one else wants, I do that. For,
2: for the game that we're working on, we need all the clever stuff, because we don't... we. We have no skills at all. <laughs> uh, what's, what, what, uh, you, are you speaking at GDC?
10: I am. I'm speaking tomorrow as part of the developer rant, so I'll be part of the panel session and having a five minute rant. Oh. Excellent. What yeah. are you allowed to know? I, I can tell you um, it's called You Don't Need to Work 18 Hours a Day, Sleep Under Your Desk, and Shit in the Corner of a Room to Make Great Video Games. Um, Not that I've ever had a shit in the corner of a room. I really wish someone had told me this.
1: (laughs) I did at one time have a a job where I slept under my desk. Recently found out that my uh, co-worker had also slept under my desk. Wait, under your desk? Under (laughs) under my desk. Violation. (laughs) Yeah, and I only lately found this out. No, I had no idea that um, over the course of two years, she was also sleeping under there in my
10: rat's nest yeah. that I had like <laughs> under my so that sounds incredible um. it's, it's like I used to work for big companies like IDOS and um, Creative Assembly mm. and uh, Sony um, and uh, I felt that in core games you know in big console games there's this kind of mindset where your whole life has to be devoted to games yeah. that you're making them you're doing overtime then you're playing them and, and then if you sleep that's hey that's a bonus but then you're going to get up and do and there's almost no space for anything else right. and, um, I had my daughter about four years ago and all of a sudden I couldn't do that and it made me really really stressed that I was I felt like I was having to look after a child, and I thought, this is wrong, you know, I should be, like, happy to be looking after my baby here. So I took a little break, and then I came back as an indie, and I think just having some other experiences in your life, as well as games, actually makes you a better designer, because you take that experience into your games. Well, because you're a healthy person. Yeah. Right, so, and that'll change the work in some way.
4: Do you think that the game, you know, game culture, like you're talking about, is too inward-focused, too games made... You know, in response to other games, that kind of thing, too? Like,
10: uh, Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, you know, the whole AAA thing, we can see it. there's a limited number of um, influences that go into those games, and it's become, you know, just eating themselves, devouring themselves, and, um, you know, just getting breaking away from that a bit and trying to bring some fresh ideas in. Um, it's, it's why we see all the interesting indie stuff coming out, because they are having other experiences and bringing them into the games
2: are you allowed to talk about what you're working on
10: um of course you're allowed you own the studio you can do (laughs) what you want at this point (laughs) um actually we're just um porting a game uh, called buddha finger that we made for ios last year we're porting it to windows and android and blackberry Mm -hmm. uh, and probably sony mobile as well um but the, the stuff that I'm trying to get kick, kick started, not, not kickstarted but you know, trying to get off the ground at the moment so we've got like um, a first person shooter that I'm doing with a guy called Alex Moore who's really talented and we've got these great um, controls for a touch screen for a first person shooter which feel really great because it's not that rubbish dual twin sticks on a touchscreen. it's it's really really good i can't speak highly enough of it and, that, and we want to just make something that's very fun and in your face and frantic and that old school um first person shootery way so that's something we're trying to get get done now
2: could you uh adapt these controls for a game about embracing
10: um why the hell not yeah i like that idea wow.
2: You may like it, you can't have it. It's ours. Oh.
10: First person hugging?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. With crisp controls, not mushy controls. Would third
3: person hugging be weird. <laughs> that would definitely Second be weird. Second person hugging. That'd be voyeuristic.
1: Like interesting. Second
4: person. So you're you see wait. You, you see you. You could use the camera you. on the top of the iPad. Right. And you could hug yourself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds
3: quite sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: There, there was a hugging game that was made. Don't tell
2: us oh is it the one about hugging a teddy bear
11: it's it's about you're a bear who has to hug people to stay alive because oh. you need love but in the process you crush them and kill them
1: oh. that is that is even more tragic than our puffer fish that is horrible That's horrible dan luckily
3: our hugs have nothing to do with love so
4: <laughs> wait luckily stuff. our hugs have nothing to do with love
3: Yes. Are they
10: like lust-filled hugs?
3: Angry hugs, you know, aggressive hugs, beautiful hugs, but no love. There's no love in my hug.
2: And what a perfect note to end the show. We'll be doing another one uh, later this evening, and that will be podcast quite soon. Uh, In the meantime, thank you so much to all of our guests. Thank you. Also thanks to Jen for eventually turning up, and for our Sutra colleague, Christian Nutt. Until later... Goodbye.
3: See you, bye.